few civilizations in the ancient world were as formidable and impressive as Rome. From its humble beginnings as a tiny outpost on the western shores of Italy, it became a thriving republic in 510 BC, which lasted for over 500 years before being replaced by the empire, which itself stood for another thousand. In the latter period, a great many emperors, from the beloved to the most hated, ruled the nation and its dominions with a mixture of strength and fortitude. The history of Rome is a proud one, for the most part, with its historians taking great pains to record and preserve all of its feats and achievements, whilst simultaneously sweeping its failures and embarrassments under the rug. There were, on the achievement side of things, the five great emperors, Nerva, Trajan, Hadrian, Antoninus Pius, and Marcus Aurelius respectively, who have stood the test of time as the most benevolent and just rulers in the empire's long and vast history. And then there are those on the opposite side of the spectrum who were notorious for their excesses, like Caligula, the megalomaniacal tyrant known for his brutality when upholding the law, and his love for the company of women of ill repute. Yet even he had notoriety on his side, and has been remembered solely based upon his tarnished reputation. Lesser known to the point of obscurity, Heliogabalus is the forgotten Roman emperor who not only boasts one of the shortest reigns in the empire's history, but was also among the youngest when crowned. Though far less is written and recorded of him than, say, Julius Caesar, what has been passed down tells of a deeply troubled and wayward soul whose supposed hedonism and decadence would make the most worldly of Roman citizens blush. With just four years on the throne before being assassinated, he quickly fell into the shadows of history and obscurity. But just who exactly was this young man? Was he really as bad as history makes him out to be? And how did he rise to and fall from power so quickly? I'm Chester Sakamoto, your host, and welcome to the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. The story of Heliogabalus doesn't start in Rome proper, but some 1900 miles away, in Syria. The town of Emesa, now known as Homs, was a sleepy backwater of the Roman Empire until it began minting coins under the rule of Emperor Antoninus Pius, whose reign lasted from AD 138 to AD 161. It was in this transitional period from small town to burgeoning metropolis that Heliogabalus was born in AD 203, 204 at the latest. The son of a Romano-Syrian noblewoman mother and a Roman aristocrat father, Varius Avitus Bassianus, Heliogabalus's birth name, was raised in the pre-Islamic Syrian religion that involved sun worship. In fact, the name Heliogabalus is a contraction of the Greek sun god Helios and the Syriac god of the sun, Elagabal. Heliogabalus rose to prominence during the even shorter reign, just one year, of Macrinus, who succeeded Emperor Caracalla. Caracalla, who had been assassinated, still had family in Rome, which Macrinus saw as a threat to his power. Sending them into exile in Syria, Julia Maeza, the grandmother of Heliogabalus, began plotting with her advisor on how to oust Macrinus and place her grandson upon the throne. She began a rumor that Heliogabalus was the illegitimate son of Caracalla, and that it was his birthright to inherit the throne. Soon, Roman soldiers of the region began backing Maeza's claims. Whether they had been bribed by Maeza or not has never been proven. And, on May 16th, 218, Heliogabalus was declared emperor at the tender age of 14 by the commander of the 3rd Legion of Rapana, a former city in what's now northern Jordan. 
But Macrinus would not take this lying down. He urged the Senate to denounce Heliogabalus and proclaim him the false Antoninus, Antoninus being Caracalla's first name, and they complied. What ensued was a war of sorts between the Senate and Heliogabalus's family. During this time, Macrinus appointed his son, Diadumenian, as co-emperor and handsomely paid soldiers in Rome to ensure their loyalty to him and his rule. However, during a celebratory dinner in Greece, a messenger presented Macrinus with the severed head of his prefect, Julianus. Taking this as a sign of violence to come, he and Diadumenian fled to Antioch in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey, where on June 8th, 218, they and their Praetorian Guard were defeated in the Battle of Antioch by troops loyal to Heliogabalus. Macrinus and his son made for Italy, but were intercepted and ultimately executed. With them out of the way, Heliogabalus assumed the throne, though it was a bumpy ride from the start. His first order of business was to make his ascension official. He wrote to the Senate virtually forgiving them for their transgressions and recognizing its laws, but condemning Macrinus and Diadumenian's rule. He also assumed imperial titles without bothering to await the Senate's approval. Though this broke from tradition, it was not an unusual practice in the 3rd century. The Senate, in turn, accepted Heliogabalus as emperor, and even went so far as to believe his claim that he was, in fact, Caracalla's son. They proceeded to deify Caracalla and made Julia Maeza and the women in Heliogabalus's family Augustae, a title bestowed on women within the imperial family. All traces and records of Macrinus were expunged from the Roman historical records so that it seemed as if Heliogabalus was the direct successor to the throne following Caracalla's demise. The early days of Heliogabalus's rule read like the plot of an episode of Game of Thrones, in that they were marked with a great deal of bloodshed. While still in Antioch, he ordered the execution of much of Macrinus's cabinet. Top leaders and officials who had been loyal to the disgraced former emperor were put to death, while Heliogabalus's friends and allies were given positions of power by default. Upon his return to Rome, he began making changes as well, some that not only ostracized him from the Roman public, but also shocked and appalled them. For example, a statue of Victoria, the goddess and personification of victory, traditionally stood in the Senate House. According to the Roman historian Cassius Dio, Heliogabalus commissioned a painting of himself to be hung in front of the statue, so that when the senators made offerings to the goddess, it would appear as if they were instead making offerings to him. But this wasn't the only blatant disregard for the Roman religion on behalf of the young emperor. Heliogabalus sparked an even greater amount of controversy when, in late 218, he instated Elagabal, the Syriac god of the sun, as the chief deity of the Roman pantheon in lieu of Jupiter. In honor of this change, a lavish temple was built on the eastern-facing slope of the Palatine Hill, which housed a black conical meteorite that was said to represent the god himself. Not only that, but Heliogabalus proceeded to appoint himself the head priest of this new temple, shocking the public even further. In addition, he married Aquilia Severa, a Vestal Virgin, or High Priestess to Vesta, goddess of the house and family, which was considered to be a major breach of Roman religious law and tradition as Vestal Virgins were sworn to celibacy for thirty years. His reason, when asked why he would do such a thing, was so that he and his wife could produce, quote, godlike children, unquote. Under normal circumstances, if a Vestal Virgin was found to have had sexual relations of any kind, she was to be buried alive. Tradition, which in this case is the account of Roman historian Cassius Dio, dictates that Heliogabalus was married five times, twice to the aforementioned Vestal Virgin Aquilia Severa, but was known for trysts with members of both genders. Along with affairs with several women, he's known for romantic attachments to two notable men, Heracles, a chariot driver and ex-slave, and Zotacus, an athlete from Greece, to whom he was later married. Not only that, but the young emperor also prostituted himself in brothels and taverns to both male and female clients. 
Gates. Aside from such scandalous sexual proclivities, it was rumored that he wore makeup, dressed in women's clothes, and would, quote, offer vast sums of money to any physician who could provide him with a vagina, end quote. While this latter behavior is purely speculative, with many modern historians believing it to be a smear campaign on behalf of Roman historians to paint him in a negative light, some contemporary scholars have referred to him as the first transgender person. Due to the scandals surrounding him, Heliogabalus's popularity began to wane about a year before the end of his rule. His relationship with Heracles, who was, it's important to remember, a former slave, created quite a stir within the Praetorian Guard, the personal bodyguards to the emperor and his family. Even the emperor's own grandmother, Julia Maeza, lost faith in her grandson and slowly drew plans to replace him. She turned to her daughter, Julia Avita Mamaya, and her daughter's son, Severus Alexander, to succeed him. Maeza urged Heliogabalus to make Alexander Alexander his heir and bestow upon him the title of Caesar. He agreed to share the throne with his cousin, but it wasn't to last. He soon reneged upon the agreement when he suspected that the Praetorian Guard preferred Alexander's leadership over his own, and went as far as to make an attempt on his life when the Senate refused to strip Alexander of his title of co-emperor. Making up an elaborate rumor that his cousin was sick and near death, the Praetorian Guard demanded that the Emperor bring Alexander to their camp so that they could see for themselves the state he was in. Heliogabalus reluctantly complied, and on March 11, 222, he presented Alexander to the public, who cheered the latter's good health. Incensed by this, the emperor commanded that all those who cheered Alexander be put to death, but, before he could say or do anything further, he was beheaded by the Praetorian Guard. After his body was stripped and dragged all around the city, it was tossed into the Tiber River. Thus, Heliogabalus' story ends much like it began, in bloodshed, in more ways than one. No sooner had he been dethroned than most of his allies and constituents were put to death, including his lover, Heracles. His memory was officially erased from the Roman historic record, his religious edicts were reversed, and his likeness on statues was replaced by that of his successor, his cousin Severus Alexander. In summation, the reign of Heliogabalus was disastrous and riddled with turmoil, not because he was a tyrant per se, but because he simply wasn't prepared or fit to rule. It's important to note that he was all of 14 years old when he assumed the throne, and 18 when assassinated. That might not seem like much when you take King Tutankhamun, King Tut of Egypt into consideration, but, like him, history hasn't exactly been kind to young monarchs. That's not to say that there weren't positive aspects to Heliogabalus's rule, though what was reversed upon his overthrow, the first women, his mother and grandmother, were given positions within the Senate, which up to that point had been a strictly male-dominated body of government. And while his overhauls of various temples and religious sites caused a great deal of outrage and scandal amongst the public, his practice of sun worship would later be adopted personally by other Roman emperors and government officials. Perhaps, to quote the Australian archaeologist Warwick Ball, he was innovative, but simply a tragic enigma lost behind centuries of prejudice. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next Thursday and every Thursday for a brand new episode of the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. This is Chester Sakamoto signing off. See you next time.